And let's just start with a minute of gratitude. So take a moment and just focus on what you're thankful for, what's good in your life, what's supporting you. And focus exclusively on what's right, what's supporting you. When the mind wanders, we come back to gratitude, what we're thankful for. take a nice deep breath very nice so can we all share uh, one thing we're thankful for as we get started I can start so we had a nice walk right now before this <laughs> and what's the just the, the, the town what's it called Vasana Central we just had a walk around and saw the hustle bustle of the weekend and came back that was that was and we thought it was a nice old windmill which is very yeah it's a nice old there is this old windmill right in the center of the yeah. town so. which is nice anybody else what are you thankful for uh, thankful for uh, living in a nice environment where mm -hmm. we can have nice fresh air yeah that's true and uh, uh, we have very nice weather today. That's okay. So. Beautiful. Anybody else? Lot. Thankful for parents. Thankful for my wife. Mm. Thank you for my parent-in-laws. Mm -hmm. Of course. How so clever you are. For this moment. For this moment. For this woman. That's what she said. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Nitin and I just had lunch in our garden in the sunshine, and right. we really relish and enjoy that experience today. Yes. And I'm thankful for that. Thankful for having a nice slow lunch yes. and getting the sunshine. And the yeah. warm sunshine and Beautiful. his company. They, would, they joined us last evening. We were watching a documentary about a Korean nun who is considered to be one of the world's top chefs even though she doesn't consider herself to be a chef. On Netflix, there's a show called Chef's Table. And uh, so it was just about how she grows everything with such love and she prepares it with such love. And for her, she says, food is a way of communicating our emotions. Food is a way of transmitting our emotions. So in her case, she wants to transmit love and compassion through her food, right? And uh, so that was something that we enjoyed seeing together. Anybody else want to say something? Well, thankful for the for the uh, ultimate revealing of the truth by the Almighty. I think mm -hmm. 
been kind enough to to put me on the journey. Mm. So you feel the fact that you've been guided and that the journey is unfolding for you is something that you're really grateful for. That's right. Beautiful. Yeah. Anybody else? Would you like to share? Thank you for having you here. Yeah, I mean, how about <laughs> <laughs> what are you thankful for? Recently, I was just today. I played match, and I play very well, even though my team. Was it soccer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You played very well, even though your team didn't play so well. <laughs> You're happy with your own performance. <laughs> Good. <laughs> nice. I think everybody in this room is thankful for a good life. I think we all yeah. have a good life, uh, have enough for our all our needs. That's true. And yet we may have it but it doesn't always come to mind. So we have to literally sometimes remind ourselves of what we're thankful for. In Pune, where I live in India, uh, we had a time a few years ago, there was a water shortage and they were rationing water. So they'd say, okay, water will come for two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. So we got used to for a few months, uh, there was no tap water, so we had to fill the buckets. And after two months, when they finally said, okay, now the water is going to come all the time, we were so grateful. And we said, wow, we don't normally feel grateful when the water comes on the tap and we should take it for granted. But because we didn't have it for two months, we realized what a, what, a, what a precious thing it is. Because how difficult it is to wash your dishes when there is not water coming from the tap. And you've got to take a, every time you've got to take a, you know, a mug full of water and you've got to wash your dishes. So sometimes we don't realize it until we lose it, what we are thankful for. And there was a, there was a Jesuit priest, uh, there was a TED talk by him. He talked about working in Africa for a few years and he comes back to Europe and he's like, wow, water, wow, cold water, wow, warm water. Because <laughs> he thought in, for so many years, in Africa, he did not get running water. And he said, wow, electricity, put on the light and light comes. <laughs> and then he tells himself, today it's wow, but tomorrow will it still be wow. Because today it's like so fresh and new. So he takes post-it notes and he posts it, you know, just saying, I'm so thankful there's running water. I'm so thankful there's electricity. Just as a reminder to himself. Right. So one, one powerful practice is to... Imagine for a moment, you've lost everything you love. You've lost everything you have. Imagine for a moment. And then you get it back. So what a huge relief that is. How deeply grateful we are for that. So that's a way of recognizing what we already have. We sometimes we don't recognize what we have until we imagine we lost, we've lost it. Right. The three facets of gratitude, actually. One is grateful for what we have. Second is interesting, is grateful for our challenges. Because they're nice. I read this little post on Facebook which said that people pray to God to change their situation. Not knowing the situation was given to change them. <laughs> and so especially if you're getting into similar challenges again and again, similar challenges with with either the same person or with different people again and again, again and again, again and again, then that is not the personal situation, then that is something here that has to be changed. And that is your outlook that needs to be questioned and changed. So we are grateful for our challenges because that's showing us the next possibility for us to have a shift in attitude, shift in belief, shift in way of looking at things. For example, I come to this country for the first time and because I don't know my way here, I buy a map. And I'm very frustrated because whatever I'm reading on the map, it's not matching. You know, what I'm, what I'm seeing is not matching the map. I'm getting very frustrating. I'm thinking, what is this country about? I don't like this country. And then a friend comes and says, hey, your map, whoever sold you the map cheated you because this map is 30 years old. 
And of course, things are going to change in 30 years. So that road is no longer there, there's a building there. And that park is no longer there, there's a hospital there. Oh, the map is 30 years old, so it gives me a new map. And suddenly life becomes so much easier. It's like, wow, this really helps. And then Akash comes along and says, what are you using maps now? Today is the modern world. Throw your map away. Take Google Maps. <laughs> so he gives me a device and says, look, this is real time. Just enter where you want to go and it'll guide you. It'll even tell you how to go. It'll even tell you how much time it takes. Like, wow, this is the next level. But after using that for two, three, five days, two, three, five months, I realize I don't, no longer need that. Because now I know my way around. So I no longer rely on Google Maps to go to where I usually go to. Right? Now this is similar to the way we operate in this world. In the beginning, we get very frustrated because life is not matching our map of reality. We have a certain map, like for example, if I am good to others, they'll always be good to me. That's our map. But turns out it doesn't always happen that way. Just because you're good to them doesn't mean 100% of the time they'll be good to you. Sometimes they can mistreat you. Sometimes they can take advantage of you. Sometimes they can take you for granted. And that's like a big, like how can that happen? This is not supposed to happen. But then we update our map. Right? So it, we, can, we can either get very frustrated or we can say maybe it's my map that's the problem, not the terrain. We update our map, we update our map, we keep on updating our map. So gratitude for challenges is, you see that as an opportunity to update your map. Most modern computers will say, they'll give you an option to report glitches that come up in the software. They'll say, when the software, would you allow us to report the glitch and we can improve our software as a result, right? Because they know that every time this glitch is improved, their entire performance of the everything goes up. My friend recently bought a Tesla, and he told me one day, his Tesla every night, will connect with the Wi-Fi and it'll update its system because Tesla is a self-driving car and there are 20,000 Teslas driving around and every Tesla is self-learning, it's learning from its mistakes and it sends the data back to the main computer and the computer will then send an update to all the cars, listen, let's learn, so imagine this is hive learning, this is not one person learning, this is a hive of cars learning continuously, how fast it's going to learn, it's aggregating all that learning continuously. Come on and welcome. Yeah, sit anywhere. Come, there's a place here. There's a place down. So, if we change our way of looking at challenges, instead of saying, "Oh, I'm so unfortunate," or "Why is this happening?" You change your way of looking at it. This is actually an opportunity for me to update my maps, update my way of looking at the world. Right, and the more updated it gets, and eventually, you don't need those maps so much anymore. Which means that you can operate more directly, like we talked about eventually putting away that even the navigation you were getting. So now this is a full, one, one of the teachers calls it full catastrophe living. <laughs> it is not holding back anymore, you're 100% into it. Come on in. So three, three aspects of gratitude, one is gra gratitude for our blessings, second is gratitude for our challenges. Come, have a seat. Yeah, come. And the third is, this is very interesting, gratitude for what we want even before it happens. Most people say, when it happens, then I'll be grateful. Once it goes the way I like, then I'll be thankful. But it's very interesting to practice gratitude before that even happens. And they say that Jesus, before doing a miracle, would say thanks. Before doing the miracle, not after doing the miracle. But that's the level of confidence. So my, one of my teachers, he kind of makes fun of uh, people who pray and they say once 
God, once you do this, then I'll give you something. <laughs> so, oh, that's the level of your faith. So it's like a transaction. Once you give this to me, then I will, you know, uh, come and make an offering to you or something. Uh, it's like a business-like uh, devotion, which is like, once I get what I want, then I'll give you whatever it is that I, I think that you need. But instead of this, we turn it around and we practice gratitude even before it happens. So the moment that thought or that wish comes, like for example, you're supporting someone in their healing or you're supporting someone in their studies or you're supporting someone in their interview process, whatever it is. So what is it like to practice gratitude before it happens? You get into the mindset of having it now. And uh, some people even call this the science of miracles, which is to be grateful for what you want before it happens. Right? So we talk about three kinds of gratitude. Gratitude for what we have. And the way we activate that is we imagine we've already lost it. Right? And, uh, and, and notice your face twisted like that. That's actually very important to do that. Because that's the reality of things. Things are going to change. Right? The Buddha actually says this is a subject for frequent contemplation. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise. All that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise. You shouldn't be surprised by this. It shouldn't take you by surprise. It's happening all the time. So those of you who were yesterday, we learned a one-word mantra. What is it? Gone. <laughs> and gone is recognizing things change. And we tend to notice when things arise and not tend to notice when things change. But to develop that capacity to notice things are changing all the time. Things are changing. And so we use the mantra, gone, gone, gone. And of course it's gone to change. So gratitude for what I have, gratitude for my challenges. And there was a nice story I read about this, about this uh, man who claimed to solve everybody's problems. So people would stand in a long line and they'd go to and tell the problem. He said, wait, don't tell me the problem. Give them a handkerchief. I'd write down the problem on this in great detail. So they'd write it down. And they're expecting some kind of miracle. And then they come back to him, written, written the problem down. He said, yes. And now behind me, there's a tree. And I want you to go and tie this handkerchief on any branch or any, uh, you know, part of the tree. And then open, there are hundreds of other handkerchiefs, open any other handkerchief and read the problem. Whichever problem is less than yours, bring it to me. I have a special gift, I can exchange people's problems. <laughs> <laughs> so they all, they go and tie down their problem. And then they open somebody else's problem, oh, they've lost their child, oh, we don't want to lose our child, put it back. And somebody lost all their teeth, I don't want to lose my teeth, put it back. <laughs> and somebody's lost their home, we don't want to lose our home, put it back. And within 5-10 minutes, they've all realized, oh my goodness, we thought ours was so bad. Turns out other people had it much worse than us. And they all come back and say, now we've understood. Thank you so much. All problems have disappeared. <laughs> because you don't see it as a problem anymore. You see it as an opportunity. You see it, see it as a strength. And this is actually very, very powerful. So, and the third one is gratitude for what we want even before it happens. We don't have to wait until it happens. And this is actually the secret of great sports people. They vividly visualize playing their best game. They don't wait for it to happen. They vividly, vividly visualize. Because at a certain level, it's no longer about the physical capacity. They all have similar levels of stamina. They all have similar levels of talent, similar levels of ability. It's no longer about that. It's all about the mental game. And for the mental game, the way you do it is you see it like it's already happened. So the one who has the most clarity has the most power and has the most influence. So this Stephen Covey called this begin with end in mind. Begin with end in mind. And of course you hold it lightly as opposed to tightly. Because one more shift is you shift from focusing on outcomes to focusing on process. So there are two ways we can live our life. One is living our life for happiness, 
which means once all the things I want happen, then I'll be finally happy. Then I can finally relax and be happy. We keep on because that keeps extending, right? Horizons keep extending. The more you chase the rainbow, the further away it gets. So it's one of those things that the further you go, the further that happens. It's just out of reach every single time. Like the uh, tortoise and the stick, the carrot, <laughs> and the tortoise keeps walking trying to catch the carrot, but the carrot is forever ahead of the tortoise. Can't quite catch it. That's called doing things for happiness. And then there's the other one doing things. Can you guess? In happiness. In happiness, yes, beautiful. In happiness, from happiness, with happiness. And that's a beautiful shift. So instead of thinking that the end result is the goal and the process doesn't matter, we turn that around and say the process is no less important. In fact, Lao Tzu, the wisest man in China, he called his path, he called it the Tao. And the Tao means the way. So people said, but where does this path, where does this way lead to? He said, it doesn't lead to anything. That's why it's called the way. <laughs> it's just the way. <laughs> he said, but why have you called it the way? Well, that every religion is talking about a goal, and that goal itself is spoiling it for people. The very idea that there's a goal makes them feel incomplete. That's why I've called my, my thing the way. It's called the way, because there is no other goal. So in other words, this step itself is complete, wherever it is. This is called doing things from happiness. So we can approach anything in life in these two ways. We can approach it doing things for happiness, and that has a certain taste to it. A certain hurriedness, a certain impatience, a certain judgment. What's wrong with you people? I was doing a program recently, and someone said to me, Nitya, we run a logistics company, and uh, we had an important shipment that had to go. It was all set, everything's ready, ready, packed, loaded in the truck. The truck driver's missing. Where is the truck driver? So they're looking around for him, they're calling his phone, he's not picking up his phone. And they're getting very agitated. This is an important shipment. Where is this man? He's not available. And half an hour later, he comes. And this man shouts at him, where are you? Don't you know this is an important shipment? How can you just disappear like this? And this is an older Sikh gentleman. And he says, very slowly he says, Sir, let me tell you something. I drive this truck 12 to 14 hours a day. In my day, I take a 45 minute lunch break. This is the one time of my day I can just sit down, relax, and eat my food. This is the time I switch off my phone. If after driving 14 hours a day, I cannot even enjoy one meal a day without distraction, without disturbance, then you tell me why am I driving this truck so much? What am I doing it for? And this man felt embarrassed. Yeah, it's true. We are so caught up in our deadlines and our goals. We forget that there are human beings here who also have to live their lives. He said it made him realize that we have to put people first. We can't just put goals first. These arbitrary goals that somebody somewhere thinks up and says we have to reach this deadline by this time. It's an arbitrary thought that they have. But what impact is that having on their clients? I was attending a conference in Boston where we had uh, somebody from Southwest Airlines. You've heard of Southwest Airlines? Very famous airlines in the US. It's famous because it has a very unique culture. They allow their people to be themselves. So sometimes you'll hear, you know, the normal safety announcement, the safety briefing, their staff will sometimes sing the safety briefing. <laughs> or they'll do a rap song out of the safety brief. Or sometimes you're entering the aircraft. And one of the uh, staff is in the baggage hold saying, hi, it's like, what, what are you doing up there? <laughs> it's just to shock you, change you. It's to realize that they say, bring your personality to the job. Don't leave your personality at home. We want you to be a complete person. So this person in this conference was saying, do you know why Southwest is the only airline that does not charge you for checking in your luggage? Every airline in the US on, at usual charges about $25 for any checked in baggage. It's a standard there. But Southwest always gives you free check in baggage. So do you know why we do that? Do you know why we allow ourselves to lose, re lose revenue for that? 
So nobody in the audience says, why do you do that? What's the reason? As it is, it's a budget airline. It's not a very expensive airline. So he says, the reason is we realize that when we charge people for checking in baggage, they, tr- they bring in very heavy cabin luggage because they want to you know, minimize what they're checking in. In fact, they sometimes don't want to check in anything and bring in everything. They bring in heavy check-in cabin luggage. And our staff has to deal with helping these people put the heavy cabin luggage on top. And we did not want to inconvenience our staff. And for this reason, we give free check-in luggage so they can come in with light luggage. That's a different way of thinking. Because for them, it's not just about maximizing profit, it's about the whole process. And so this is an organization with a purpose. In fact, if you look at their logo, it's got wings and it's got a heart in the center. <laughs> so at the very center of their logo is a heart, which means love, which means connection. And uh, the CEO, the last CEO, his secretary, has become the new CEO. Now, where does it happen that a secretary becomes a CEO? Because it's not just about what you know, it's about who you are. And being with him for years and years and years, she actually became the second most influential person in the company. She actually went on to be the next CEO. Where does this happen for a big company like that? So a lot of lessons to learn. It's not just about the goal, it's about the process. And wherever in our life we are getting too agitated, whether it's at home, whether it's at work, check. Are you postponing your happiness for one reason or the other? Are you making some future goal more important than the process? The documentary we watched yesterday was all about the process. She was doing everything so slowly, so mindfully. She was cutting everything slowly, preparing the food slowly. Everything was done so mindfully. For her, the process was as important. In her garden, she had not put any insecticide. Sometimes the wild boar, feral pig will come and eat something. You see, but they also have to eat. Wild animals also have to eat. What about them? Right. And as a result, the chefs around the world, when they taste our food, they're like, this is a different level. I mean, we cannot even compare our food to this. It's at a whole different level. And she doesn't use most of the condiments that we normally use. She doesn't use uh, onions, she doesn't use garlic, uh, she doesn't use sugar. All she uses is soy sauce, soy paste, and salt, and soy sauce. One, two, three, four things she uses, simple ingredients. And she's able to come up with levels of flavor that nobody has seen. And, and one of the commentators was saying, it's because she's playing the long game, she uses time. She's not in a rush to make the food. So she talked about some of the soy sauces that she has, 10 years, 15 years, even 100-year-old soy sauces, fermented for 100 years. They're passed on from one generation to the next. So she's playing the long game. right? So what happens when we play the long game, as opposed to the doing what everybody else is doing, trying to get somewhere very quickly? What happens if you slow down? One of my teachers said it beautifully. He said that the fastest way is infinite patience. I was walking with him once and he said, look at that tree and look at that tree. Which is a bigger tree? I said, that's a bigger tree, that's a smaller tree. He said, yeah, that's a bigger tree compared to this tree. <laughs> but what about that tree compared to that tree? Yeah, suddenly it became a small tree. <laughs> you see? Compared to this tree, it's a bigger tree. Compared to that tree, it's a small tree. It's all relative. By itself, it's got no meaning. He said, look at this tree. This tree here grows very fast. And this tree here grows really slowly. So the tree that grows fast is used by the villagers for firewood. Where it grows so fast, they don't mind cutting it down. In a few years, it will grow up again. The tree that grows really slowly, they leave it alone because this is some of the most expensive wood in the forest. Hard wood typically grows really slowly. In Sri Lanka where I live, the, the monastery was called Na Uyana. 
Na is the word for the Na tree, which is ironwood tree. The reason it's called ironwood is if you take a normal saw and try to cut it, your saw blades will bend. It will be unable to cut. The wood is so strong that an average saw will just bend trying to cut it. It will break trying to cut it. It's called ironwood for that reason. So this is some of the most expensive wood in the, in the, in the world, ironwood. And yet, it grows extremely slowly. The trees in that monastery, for some, some of them were 1,500 years old or 2,000 years old. So the lesson here is that not everything is about speed. See, we get hypnotized by our, by our current culture. Faster, 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 more, more, more. And we get hypnotized by this. But we need to sometimes slow down and check what's really important. Is that the only way of doing things? Is that really giving us the peace of mind, the clarity? Whatever it is you're seeking in life, are you getting it? My teacher called it looking for the sweet chili. You keep tasting chili, you keep getting burnt. You keep tasting chili. Every day after day of getting burnt, we say, but there must be one sweet chili. <laughs> if I keep doing this long enough, one day I'll find a sweet chili. You're fooling yourself. That's the definition of insanity. If you've done it that, like that for years and you've always burnt yourself, you change your way of doing things. You don't expect things to change doing the same thing over and over again. So over and over again judging someone, over and over again complaining, if things are not changing, what if it's got to do with the change in our mindsets? Right. So I saw this documentary called Lady in Number Six. Have any of you heard of this? Lady in Number Six? 2015 it won the Oscar for Best Documentary. And Lady in Number Six is about Alice Somers who at that time was the world's oldest living Holocaust survivor and concert pianist. And it's interesting, just a few days before she won the Oscar, just literally a few days before that, before that film won the Oscar, she passed away at the age of 112, peacefully in her sleep. Now this movie is fascinating because it tells the tale of a person. You must have seen a movie called Life is Good. Life is beautiful, I think it's called. Life is beautiful, yeah. where he, uh, he he takes his son the son the concentration camps. Is that the one? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's life is beautiful, yeah, right? Where he tells his son that it's all a big game. Yeah, yeah. That this entire concentration camp experience is just one big it's one big play, and he has to behave himself. Have you yes, have some of you yes, seen that? Seen that also won an Oscar, yeah. I think. So it's similar to that, but this is actually a true story. Yeah, it's true. And she she was as a young uh, young girl a very very gifted pianist and went on to already at, the, at her, in her early 30s, was one of the most celebrated pianists of her time. And that's when uh, Germany invaded her country. She was living in uh, what is now Czech Republic. Czechos Czech that time it was Czechoslovakia? Or? So it, they, the, the Germans invaded uh, the country and one by one all the Jews were rounded up, rounded up. And she was also Jewish. And she saw systematically how uh, they took her husband away took her mother away. One by one they were taking everybody away. Right. And yet she never lost faith. She, she, they took away all the musical instruments. She hid a small, small piano she hid and she would play secretly. And there were, they were, they were Nazis living two floors below. And one of them sent a message up. He could hear her. He sent a message up. You keep playing because when I come back in the evening that's the only thing that gives me peace of mind. Right. Because sometimes people were swept away. She said that, you know, not every person is bad. Just the whole undercurrent is such. So when they were taking her away, the Nazi person sent a letter saying, I'm so sorry, I wish I could do something. But they're taking you away. Right. And yet, in this whole time, she never lost faith. 
So the Germans are very smart that uh, if you had a talent like music, they would use that in the concentration camps. So they would make you play it to entertain the soldiers and to, uh, and to they would use that talent in that way. So <laughs> they, they made her play the piano there. And the soldiers would come and tell her that, you know, this is the one peaceful moment of our day when we hear you play. And so she and her son, they actually survived the concentration camp experience. And if you look at this movie, you would not believe it. She's the chirpiest, happiest person. You, she said, everybody, nobody smiles in my building. I'm the only one smiling. <laughs> Everyone is so serious all the time. And you can see the joy of life bursting out of her. And when she talks, such energy in her speech. And she lived to 112, so as you can imagine, everybody, her, her son died at the age of 70, or maybe 60-something, which is a reasonable age, but for her it was so small. <laughs> and she said, I have to be grateful. Because he, he, he just died rather suddenly. He, had, he ate something, he was being uncomfortable. They took him to the hospital, he passed away. So I have to be grateful. He died without suffering. So her whole, this is an, a living example of someone who is practicing gratitude, who has made gratitude a way of life who's living a complaint-free life. So these are things that are not just philosophical, they are things that we can apply. The thing is, we tend to look at the people, as social beings, right? So we look around and say, what are other people doing? What are, we scan our environment. Oh, that's what they're doing. So I'll approximate to that. I'll approximate to that. Our standards tend to be based on the people around us. So we can't always change physically who's around us, but we can definitely change mentally who's around us. There's a nice uh, saying that we become the average of the five people we associate with the most. So who are the five people we are associating with the most? If not physically, then mentally. In India, we have the, the story of... Have you heard the story of Eklavya? Eklavya came to Dronacharya to learn archery. And Dronacharya could see this person is incredibly talented. He's probably going to be better than my favorite student, Arjun. So he refused him and said, no, I'm not going to teach you. But he had such great faith, he made an idol of Dronacharya and began practicing just thinking of Dronacharya. And then one day they, there was something and they, and they noticed that this person has become actually far better than Arjun. And then, how did you get so good? And he comes and he says, you are actually you are my guru. I kept an idol of you. And Dronacharya is so jealous, he says, all right. Then since I'm your guru, you have to give me Guru Dakshana. You have to give me my payment as a guru. So I want both your thumbs. Right, he took away both his thumbs. So I actually met a few years back, I met a person in Bangalore who said that I come from the tribe of Eklavya. And in our tribe, when we do archery, we don't use our thumb, we use our two fingers to shoot. So it's a tradition in that tribe to shoot with the fingers without the thumb. But the deeper lesson here is even without the physical presence of the teacher, all that wisdom came to him, all that knowledge came to him. So ultimately it's not about what's, who is supporting you, it's about what is your aspiration. And if you have a strong enough aspiration, you can learn anything in this world. Nothing can stop you. And of course, now with the internet and with YouTube and with endless sources of knowledge, it's just a matter of focusing our attention. What happens is we go in a hundred different directions and then we don't really develop deep skills in anything, deep knowledge in anything. There's a nice uh, progression of learning. And this is a fun one to learn. Is that first we are unconsciously unskilled. So for example, you've never played golf before. And a friend takes you, hey, what is golf? Golf is so simple. Come on, what is it? You're going to put a ball. Come on, let's do it. And, shoo, and you completely miss the ball. Oh my, <laughs> I missed it completely. Do it again. Shoo, and the ball goes on the side. Oh my goodness, this is, I'm not so good at this. So you went from being unconsciously unskilled to consciously, consciously unskilled. So now you know you're not, <laughs> it looks easier than it actually is. So first you were unconsciously unskilled. 
Now you're consciously unscathed. So now you say, okay, now I'm going to get good at this. So you start coming every week and you hire a golf coach and he starts training you. And the golf coach gives you so many pieces of advice. You've got to stand like this, your stance has got to be like this, your breathing has got to be like this, your eyes got to be like this. And he gives you at least 10 things to remember on every shot. So practicing, practicing, you become consciously skilled. What is consciously skilled? You've got to think 10 times before shooting. Okay, is my stance right? Am I holding my thing right? Have I got the right club? You think 10 times before taking that shot. This is consciously skilled. But let's say you've been playing for 7 or 8 years now. So when you go to take a shot, what are you? Unconscious. Unconsciously skilled. Because now you've done so, so much. You can actually be thinking about something else. Have I paid the luxury bill or not? <laughs> and you're standing there in perfect stance. And you're able to take that shot. So you become unconsciously skilled. Like when we drive our car, we no longer have to think so much. Because when you get into the car, a few things happen. Okay, You sit there, you adjust your seat, you put the key in. If you have got the put the key in type car. Uh, and then you've got to adjust the, because maybe your husband used the car earlier, you've got to adjust the rear view mirror, you've got to put your seatbelt on. There are at least six, seven, eight things to do, right? When you first learn, you're actually thinking, you know, what am I doing? <laughs> Is my seatbelt on or not, right? right? You've got to think of all of these things, but if you've done it enough times, you stop thinking about it. It is unconsciously skilled. And then they tell us there's a journey from unconsciously skilled to mastery, which is anywhere from 10 to 30,000 hours of practice. And practice is not just distracted practice, and this is focused practice. This is 100% focus. Between 10 to 30,000 hours of dedicated practice leads to mastery. So in this world, we cannot become masters of everything. There'll be, we'll have to choose our battles. We can't choose to be good at everything. But take a few things, or take at least one thing, and decide to get really good at that. Do it again, and again, and again, and again. And once you get the taste for mastery, then that attitude is transferable. You may not be a master at everything, but the attitude of mastery is definitely transferable. You will have a sense of how it works in other fields because you've put in that work. So there was a lady who called uh, a world-class pianist to her home and there was a piano performance. It's called a recital. Is that what it's called? Piano recital at a performance. So he plays the piano and everyone is enthralled. Two hours go by like they're 10 minutes. Like, wow, that was amazing. And they, of course, they all applaud, and she comes up, and she's so moved, she says, you know, I would give anything to play like you. And he looks up at her and says, I don't think you would. I don't think you would uh, give up anything to play like me. And she's very embarrassed in front of all her friends. She's saying, yeah, I don't think you would. He says, of course, you played so well. I would give anything to play like you. He says, I don't think you would give eight hours a day for 20 years <laughs> to play like me. And there's a silence in the room. They say, yeah, that's right. She was just saying it, she didn't mean it. Right. So we sometimes say, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice? But are you willing to put in that time to awaken those latent capacities? We all have latent capacities. So it's good early on in our life to select a few important things that we really, really want to get very good at. And that joy, because ultimately it's not the joy in what you're doing, it's the joy in that state of consciousness. The state of consciousness of being present, of being connected, of being concentrated, of having sensory clarity, of having equanimity, a mind that's stable. This is a joy in itself. And we've all probably tasted it in pockets here and there. But to have that available to us, like we were watching the documentary and this nun was saying, I cook food with a blissful mind. I'm living my monk's life 
with a blissful mind. She said it again and again, I'm living with a blissful mind. And you can see it in the way she lives, in the way she walks, in the way she talks. She's just radiating with bliss. So at some point it detaches from the activity. It's no longer about the activity. In the beginning it's about activity. So, oh, what do you like? Oh, I like cricket. Oh, I like rock climbing. Oh, I like reading. Oh, I like cooking. It's activity based. So in that state of activity, then you get into, you have access to that flow to whatever it is. But mastery is when this is now available to you very, very easily all the time if you want. It's available to you all the time. You're kind of double clicking on it. And now everything has become an opportunity for you to deepen and access that state of consciousness. So gratitude is one of the good ways. If you practice gratitude, automatically, that's like a shortcut. It's like a, it's like a quick entrance into that state of mind. Being grateful for what we want. We talked about three things. Gratitude for my blessings, what I already have. Gratitude for my challenges. And gratitude for my dreams and aspirations, even before they have come true. All right. Let's do another gratitude practice, sit comfortably. And I want you to focus exclusively on gratitude. And just focus on how supported you are, how blessed you are. Any moment of zero discontentment is automatically a moment of gratitude. So drop any residual discontentment. So over the next minute or so, let all discontentment come to zero and let gratitude rise to 100% and let it happen naturally. Let us enter a state of stable gratitude, which means moment by moment only gratitude arises, contentment arises, a sense of ease and graciousness arises.
We all take a nice deep breath. And let's say together, how wonderful. How wonderful. And we can open our eyes. So let's say there's a cake. Every moment of our life, there's a cake. Right? Every moment of our life, there's a cake. And this cake has two parts. One part is discontentment. Another part is gratitude. Or you say, lack of gratitude and gratitude. Discontentment, contentment. And every moment of your life, there are these, this cake with two parts. So let me ask you, in the unpleasant times of your life, which piece is larger? The discontentment piece is larger or the contentment piece is larger? The unhappy moments of your life. Which one is larger? Discontentment. Discontentment is larger because that's why it's an unhappy moment. Because you're focusing more on what you don't want than on what you do have. Right. In the happy moments of our life, which piece is larger? Which piece is larger? Contentment. The contentment piece is larger. Right. Now this is where it gets really interesting. Who's cutting the cake? <laughs> is it some cosmic power that comes down and cuts our cake for us? Right. Is it somebody else who's cutting the cake? Who's cutting the cake? Moment by moment, who cuts the cake? It's our own way of thinking that cuts the cake. Alice Somers, the lady I talked about earlier, she shares in her book that, so she's actually a twin. She had a sister, identical twin. And when they were quite young, I think they were seven or eight years old, their father had, right next to the home, the father had a small factory. The father was home taking a little afternoon nap, and suddenly there's a loud commotion. What happened? The factory's caught fire. So he runs out, he knows what's happened, he runs right inside the factory, he knows there's been a gas leak. He goes right inside the fire, he switches off the gas, the gas valve, and he comes out. And now the fire starts to die down but he has now gotten quite badly burnt. And they give him brandy to just keep his, <laughs> his lot of pain. But of course he recovers, he's been badly burnt, but he survives. Now every Christmas, he tells the story of what happened. The family gathers, he, tells, he remembers the story of what happened. And when she hears the story, she's filled with pride for her father. My father's so brave. He went inside a burning factory and put out that valve. What a brave father I have. And her sister hates this because she hates hearing that story and she cries every time. My father almost died. My father almost died. Life is so unfair. You see? The same incident and she's focusing on, wow, my father is so brave. My father is so brave. He almost died. My father is so brave. He, so, he kind of went into the fire. And the other one, my, my father almost died. My father almost died. It's how you're holding it. The frying pan is a frying pan. Are you going to hold the hot side or are you going to hold the cool side? Are you going to hold the handle? <laughs> So any moment is just what it is. It's how you how are you approaching that moment. What angle are you getting on that moment? That determines your experience of that moment. So her sister did not survive the concentration camps. And I don't think it's a coincidence. If you ever, if you haven't done so already, then one book that I think is a must read for everybody is a book called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's a small book, doesn't take long to read. And Viktor Frankl was a psychiatrist who was put inside the concentration camps because he was Jewish. 
and he was separated from his wife and it was horrific what he was going through there one day they're walking through snow wearing hardly any warm clothes and he's just in he's in misery and the person behind him whispers to him are you thinking what i'm thinking are you thinking what i'm thinking you know what are you thinking i'm thinking of my wife and the memories come flooding in his wife has also been taken away put somewhere else and uh, in that moment he decides that i'm not going to just sit here and be miserable i'm going to use this time in a productive way so he decides to he says he, he sees two two paths in front of him one is to suffer 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 like everybody else and the other is to use this because this is the most interesting human experiment ever human being that been put into a very strange situation So his interest is how us how come some people who are young and fit are dying off early and some people who are old and frail are surviving day after day after day how come some people survive and some people die in this difficult situation so he decides to take on a scientific perspective and say let me learn about human behavior here human nature here and what he learns in his process is those who gave meaning to their experience survived and those who saw it as a meaningless experience they died When an experience is meaningless, the suffering gets infinite. When an experience is meaningful, the suffering is manageable. For example, I take a little syringe and I walk around this room, just poking all of you. Would you like that? <laughs> would you? Would you? Would you love me for that? <laughs> you might get really upset with me for that. <laughs> right. But now suddenly, I dress up as a very handsome doctor and say, "Excuse me, blood test." <laughs> you put your hand out. and you're smiling and i'm putting the syringe inside of you and you're like thank you so much doctor the pain is similar right going around poking you with a syringe or dressing up as a doctor poking you with the pain is quite similar but in one case it's meaningless in one case it's meaningful standing out in the heat and sweating your friend is late to pick you up so angry come on you were supposed to be here 20 minutes back and i'm sweating over here and that evening you go to the sauna and you're sweating you're like ha oh, this is amazing <laughs> perhaps the heat in the sauna is more than the heat out there and you're sweating in both situations but in one place it's meaningful it's something you want it's meaningful there's no suffering over there so one thing to realize that we are meaning making machines the mind is a meaning making machine now how what kind of meaning are you creating so alice thomas sister we would call paranoid paranoid is seeing what is wrong what can go wrong and you're focusing on it like the universe is a dangerous place out to get you you got to cover your back this universe is a dangerous place out to get you this is called paranoid anything can go wrong at any time it's called paranoid and the new term i learned recently is called inverse paranoid <laughs> inverse paranoid means you see the universe is a super friendly place it's always out to help me it's always out to support me And so you have this unshakable <coughs> belief that everything is happening for you. Everything is happening to support you. And if what you want doesn't happen, it means wow, something even better is going to come. <laughs> because the only way what I want would not happen is because life has got some even better surprise for me. Something better than I can even imagine. It's a different way of thinking. So the one is called paranoia, the other is called pronoia. Pronoia is the belief that I'm always going to be supported. it's your way of thinking it's the attitude that we have and so we can actually train up like the tool we're learning right now gratitude will train you to see what's right in every situation right in the past 
right in the present and right in the future. Do you know why we are afraid of the future? The only reason, like imagine you were born right now, in this moment you were born, into this body, poof. Would you really have fear of the future? If all you have is this moment, you're born right now, you have no, you have no background, is there fear of the future? So fear of the future is a projection of unprocessed stuff from the past. All the past elements of your past you have not fully processed. You're going to project into the future, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that doesn't happen. It's an unprocessed past. Undigested past. So to the extent you do your homework and you clean up all this unprocessed past, and one of the ways to do it is gratitude. There are many ways to do it. Gratitude is powerful. Forgiveness is powerful. Mindfulness is powerful. Letting go is powerful. Laughter is powerful. There are endless ways. Right? You're going to get more and more skillful with this. But as you basically shift from a story based on resistance to a, a story based on welcoming, to a story based on gratitude, that everything that happened was actually exactly what I needed for my growth. In other words, you come into alignment with your experience instead of fighting or resisting your experience. To the extent you've done that in your past, you will be at peace in the present and you'll be fearless for the future. Has to be, that's just how it works. To the extent we have not done that homework, we will continue to remain agitated, continue to remain off balance. I learned a method called EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques, many years back. And this is a rather quick, I'll probably share it with you right now. It's a rather quick method of balancing our emotions. And the teacher who teaches this says, once you've learned this, make a list of all the things in your past you think were unfair, you think shouldn't have happened, you think were painful, you think that you're really terrible. Make a list of all of those things. And the average person who's never done this kind of work before, he said will have at least 300 things to write. <laughs> I mean, with our parents, it's will be 50, <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> right, and then issues at school, and issues in college, and issues with the opposite sex, and with our friends, and all kinds. You add it all up, easily you come to 300 things. Right? And then he said every day, collapse one of them. Every day, collapse one of them, collapse one of them, collapse one of them. And he calls this the PPE. Per, no, how do the PPP actually? Personal Peace Procedure. <laughs> it's a personal peace procedure. And when I did this, the image I got was of a laptop with many, many, many minimized programs. So when you minimize the programs, it goes into a little bar below. You can't always see it. But just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So if I have 300 minimized programs, will it impact the performance of my computer? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It will. My computer is going to run slower than usual. I'm wondering what's going wrong, what's going wrong? Because I can't see it, but something is going on. So with this process, what we're doing is we're opening up those windows and we're shutting them down. And sometimes you shut down one, like, you know, for example, Microsoft Word can have many, many, many documents open. And within each document, there are many, many, many pages. I don't have to go shut down each page or shut down each document. If I just say Microsoft Word, quit Microsoft Word, 20, 20 things just shut down right away in one spot. In other words, if you've written down 300 things, you don't have to work on 300 issues. In a dense forest, tell me, imagine a dense forest, and a really big tree falls. What happens? Won't fall. Hmm? Won't fall. Well, let's say it falls. Yeah, it'll take, take, take down other trees. One is, of course, by the sheer weight. And the deeper reason is because there's a root network that's connected. So when a big tree falls, it takes with it the root network of two, three other trees, and they all fall with it. So 
So it's rare for a very big tree to fall with no other tree falling. Other trees will also fall along with it. I interpreted that because it is surrounded by the other trees. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. It's possible. If it's not too big, it may just get stuck with other trees. So uh, what this means is, so this is good news. So you can have 300 issues and in a period not too long, for most people, if you do this diligently, between two to three months, you can look at that list and say, but there's nothing here that bugs me anymore. And this is called emotional freedom. What this means is, when you meet that person again, who, when you were a child, was very mean to you, was very you know, hurtful to you, or mistreated you, you see them fresh. You don't see them with a background. You don't see them with a superimposition of your story. You meet them as they are in this moment. Because actually, we don't meet people, we meet our story about them. When you meet someone for the first time, you're kind of uncertain, what's, what is this? <laughs> and then we typically make this is why racism comes in, this is why stereotypes come in. Because we have an assumption, okay, someone who looks like this might probably be behave like this. I can trust them, I can't trust them. How are they dressed? What is their skin color? We make those kind of assumptions. That's because we don't know anything else about them. If you get to know them better, you might modify that. But we go with these shortcuts. The brain loves shortcuts. So, I did this process and I was amazed. I was like, wow, I have a lot of emotional freedom. I have a lot of emotional freedom. The things that used to bug me, the virus thought that were operating, don't bug me so much anymore. I'm free around those issues. So it went from whatever paranoia was there, went from paranoia to pronoia. And to that extent, I'm more available in the moment. To the extent I've worked with my minimized programs, to that extent, I'm more automatically more available in the present. Otherwise, some program is always running. You're with someone, but your thoughts are always running. You're doing something, but your mind is somewhere else. Because it's always like you're scattered. Mind is in, in ten different directions. You cannot enjoy, you can be in the most beautiful country, you can have a beautiful day, but you can't fully enjoy it. Because you're not able to appreciate, your mind is not there. So you want to learn this process? You have to? Yes or no? <laughs> so let's learn the process. All right. So this is, I'll, I'll teach you a simplified version of this. A-R-T, and we'll call it Art of Change, A-R-T. A stands for aim, R stands for release, and T stands for transform. All right. So aim. Normally when we get upset about something, we aim outside. We say, oh, that person shouldn't have said that. Welcome. Come on, I'm going to see you again. That person shouldn't have said that. That person shouldn't have done that. Right? We aim outside and we weaken ourselves. But in this process, instead of aiming outside, we're going to aim inside. And what's inside? Inside is thoughts and feelings. And thoughts have two parts. Let's say together, images, images. And, words. and words. So basically working with three things. Okay, let's do a little test with you. So what I'm saying is that within you there are, yeah, come. Within us there are images, words, and feelings. So here's the test for you. Assuming no image is available about any other situation. Assuming no words are available about any other situation. Um, uh, 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 assuming there are no feelings around that situation. Can you be stressed about any, any situation? No. Is it possible to be stressed without these three things? Check. No. Hmm? There is some difficult relationship in your life. But images right now, in this moment, images are not available, words are not available, feelings are not available. Can you be stressed about it? No. You can't be right. You have to have these three things. So let's say together, stress is not caused, stress stress is not caused. by the events of my life. 
Stress is caused by my thoughts and feelings about the events of my life. Now this is what we mean by aim. Stop looking outside, stop weakening yourself, becoming a victim and look inside. Right. You know, when an earthquake happens, we were discussing earthquakes today, when an earthquake happens, we run. We get out of the building or we've been taught to hide under the table or whatever it is. We do whatever we need to do. Right. That is a natural response. When the danger has come, yeah, like in that moment, there will be an immediate response. The body will do, if you touch something hot, your hand will pull back immediately. That's just a natural response. It has to happen. That's totally fine. The problem comes, like, oh, almost died. <laughs> almost this happened. Now you build up, make a story around, oh, this almost happened. That almost happened. Oh my goodness. And you make a big story around it. In nature, when, let's say, an uh, antelope is chased by a tiger, some of the time it's caught, some of the time it escapes, right? So let's say the time it escaped, and by the way, these big predators, predators only have so much stamina, right? beyond a point, they're exhausted. So then they know that he can't chase anymore, finished. So then they can relax after. So when, when someone has been chased by a tiger and they escape, the antelope, they, what they noticed is, the antelope starts to shiver. Starts to shiver. What is the shiver? It's releasing all the excess, excess energy. It's releasing all that all that uh, tension inside itself. It starts to shiver and minutes later it goes back to grazing the grass. Finished. Now imagine if you and I, one of us had been chased by a tiger. That would be the story of our biography. <laughs> chased by a tiger. <laughs> and we'll tell, there will not be a single party where we'll not say, listen to me, I'll chase, I'll chase by a tiger. <laughs> that will become a big part of our identity. Right? So what happens is, for that antelope it happened, it's done, it's finished. But for us, we store it. And you know, and, and we have this idea that, you know, don't shake. Like, you know, when we get afraid, we shake, we tremble. And we always say, don't, don't, don't tremble, come on, come on, don't, don't, don't be like that. And we tell people to stop it. Even soldiers are told, are you a girl? Why are you trembling like a girl? They're told this. So they force themselves to, they tighten around that stress. And then they have something called PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Which means they have, nature has a certain way of releasing this excess pent-up tension. And they're not allowing it to happen. Right? So what we're doing in this process is, number one, we're realizing that a lot of this tension gets stored in our body. Right? And there are many ways of releasing this. Any, any method that understands that stress is actually stored in the body at a cellular level, this method is called somatic. And the best therapies nowadays are the somatic therapies. The old tradition was talk therapy. Sit and talk about it for years and years and years. And every time you talk about it, you get re-traumatized. <laughs> Think of it again, you get re-traumatized. Right? And they have their limited benefits. But the best therapies now are therapies that understand how the system works. And yes, a little bit of talking, fine, but the bulk of it is work, what's happening inside of you. These somatic therapies are by far the best therapies. And this is also how a lot of the best meditation practices work. They get you inside yourself and they get you to release around whatever you're experiencing. So step one is aim, and we aim inside, and we, so we look what words, what images, what feelings are happening when I think of that situation. Step one is complete. Oh, one more thing in step one. You'll give it a number from zero to 10. So zero, it doesn't bother me at all. And 10, it's unbearable. Give it a number. Like for example, I think of my, um, my friend uh, promised to join for lunch and then didn't come, didn't show up and didn't even call. And how angry I am with my friend. How come he could do that, right? You think of that incident, some image came, sitting alone at the <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> some words came, you know, how, how selfish he is. How, you know, he always does this, I don't like him anymore. 
and the feelings came of feeling taken for granted, feeling frustrated, feeling upset, one, two, three, and give it a number, zero to ten. Zero is I'm totally cool about it, doesn't matter. And ten is unbearable. So let's say the number is eight, as example. Step one is complete. Step two, in this method, we will tap some simple acupressure points. And what does it create a shift inside of us. So let's learn these points. Take two fingers, both hands. And gently tap on the eyebrows, beginning of the eyebrows. And just say with me, I release and let go. Any tightness. Any tension. Any anxiety. And now tap on the side of the eye and say, I release and let go. Any anger. Any irritation. Any frustration. And not tap below the eyes. I release and let go. Any helplessness. Any hopelessness. Any feeling of no control. And come to your collarbone over here. I release and let go. Any heaviness. Any confusion. Any victimhood. I take back my power. I choose to be at ease. It's time to be at ease. I deserve to be at peace. Put one wrist against the other like this. Close your eyes. And now think of a peaceful memory, a happy memory. A time in your life when you felt content, at ease, at peace. And think of nothing but this peaceful, easeful memory. Restful, easeful memory. and fill yourself with that feeling. Take a deep breath. Release both your hands and say, peace. peace. All right, so we did one round of this process, aim, release, and transform. It's a shorter version of EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques. And what does A stand for? ART, A stands for AIM, R stands for? Release. Release, and T stands for? Transform. So in AIM, what you do is you check inside, what is it that's bugging me? And you check for what? You check for three things. You check for? Images, words, and feelings. On a scale of? One to 10. No, it's zero to 10. Zero to 10. If it's one to 10, you'll still be stuck at one. Zero to 10. R stands for release. And release, what we do is we tap these points, and just notice something, just take two fingers and just tap here. Tell me, can you feel your finger touching the skin? Yes or no? Yeah. Keep doing this and tell me, when the finger is touching the skin and you can feel it, is your mind in the past, future or present? Present. Is it true? All right, put your hands down. In other words, the very act of tapping is getting you present. But in order to be stressed, like we discussed earlier, you have to get into either the past or the future. 
So you took a memory that's bugging you, and then you kept coming back to the present again and again and again and again and again. So what you're doing is, it's like I take a CD, and I scratch again and again and again and again and again. After a while, what will happen? The CD will not work anymore. The CD stops working. Because if you scratch it again and again and again, you're actually messing up that memory. For that memory to continue, you have to be completely distracted, you have to get hypnotized and get totally lost in that world. My friend did not show up. I was sitting there. They were all looking at me. I made a fool out of myself. Right? I didn't even order anything waiting for him. And you make a big story around it. But you take that story and you keep tapping, 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 tapping. And you keep saying, letting it go. It's okay to let it go. Safe to let it go. Time to let it go. And when you hold your wrist, you think of a peaceful memory. So first of all, you loosen this up. And now you quickly shift it to a peaceful, joyful memory. You're changing your neural circuitry. You're changing your association. And the same thing that leads to stress is now leading to relaxation. Earlier, you drive past that restaurant and get tight. My friend never showed up. <laughs> <laughs> that, that restaurant has now got locked in with that memory. But now you drive past the restaurant, you feel relaxed. Such a good, it was like, I never knew and being with myself was so good, I should do it more often. <laughs> I should go for these dates with myself more often, right? You change your story around that, and now you, you're relaxed in that same situation. So aim, release, and transform. So we'll do one round of this now. I want everyone to think of one some stressful memory, anything stressful in your life. I'll not ask you what it is, keep it personal. So go ahead, close your eyes. Think of something stressful. And notice what images come. Notice what words come. And notice where in the body you feel it. Choose one thing, could be at home, could be at work, could be with friends. By now you should have chosen one thing. Notice what images come, what words come. And notice where in the body you feel it most. For someone it's in the head, for someone it's on the heart, someone it's in the belly, somewhere somewhere else. Could be anything. Where in the body do you feel the stress? And give it a number from 0 to 10. 0 is it totally cool, doesn't bother you. 10 is unbearable. And whenever you're ready, you open your eyes and tell me, I only want to know two things. Where in the body are you experiencing this and what number is coming? Anybody? Nathan? In the heart. And what number would you give it? Uh, eight. It's an eight. All right. Somebody else? In the heart. back. In the back, what number is coming? Seven. It's a seven. All right. Yeah. In the heart. And what number is coming? Ten. Ten. All right. Somebody else? Heart. Four. Heart. All right. We're getting in the heart now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all your... Huh? What number's coming? Seven. It's a seven. How about you? In the head. In the head. <laughs> Six. Six. All the heads you're doing on the football. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Yeah. I got it on the neck. On the neck, yeah. Yeah, neck. Pain on the neck. Yeah. Number seven. 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 <laughs> I had in the head maybe zero one. Zero. It's a small number. Mm -hmm. Fine. How about you? Belly. Five. Five, yeah. Stomach. Ten. Stomach. Ten, yeah. Probably shoulders. Shoulders. What number is your shoulder? Probably three. Three or four. Yeah, three. Yeah. Seven, yeah. Heartbroken. Eight on the back side of the head. Did you share, Prashi? Yeah, on my head, point five. Point five? <laughs> you got to give her more. She's, she's too happy. <laughs> okay, come. <laughs> yeah. Seven. Seven, yeah. 
Head five. Um, neck five. All right. Everyone got a pro uh, got a number, right? If you don't have it, borrow from your neighbor. <laughs> okay. So step one is complete. Aim is complete. All right. Now I'm going to give you a little uh, image. Just work with this image. There's a really big tree here. Okay. Okay. Let's say outside. There's a really big tree outside. Super big tree. We take out the roots of the tree. What happens to the tree? Falls down. It falls down, right? So the suggestion I've given you is, no matter how big this issue is, if you take out the roots of the issue, what happens to the issue? Comes down. <coughs> right. Let's do step two. Take two fingers and start tapping. And just repeat after me. I release and let go. I release and let go. Any heaviness. Any, any tightness, any, tightness any, anxiety any anxiety around this issue. Around this issue. And very important, as you're tapping, feel your finger touching your skin. Enjoy that sensation. Come to the side of your eye. I release and let go. I release and let go. Any helplessness. Any hopelessness. Any frustration. Any anger or sadness around this issue. Come below your eye. I release and let go. Any irritation? Any sense of no control? Any betrayal? Any abandonment? Any other such feeling? Letting it go now. Come to your collarbone. It's safe to let it go. It's time to let it go. I deserve to let it go. I choose to let it go. I take back my power. I take back my strength. I was perfectly fine until I thought of this. So if I unthink of this, I'll be fine again. I take back my power. Okay, put your one wrist against the other. Push your eyes. Now think of a happy memory, peaceful memory, joyful memory. Go to a time in your life when you were completely carefree, completely relaxed, and there wasn't a single thing wrong with that moment. Remember it, see it, feel it. Think only of this. And fill the whole body with this happy feeling, relaxed feeling, calm and tranquil feeling, joyful feeling, whatever's coming for you, fill the whole body with this breath by breath. Take a nice deep breath, integrate all this. Release your hands, say peace. peace. Keep your eyes closed. Go back and check. Same memory, same stressful thought. And now check how strong it is, how strong the feeling is, how strong the image is. Is it gripping you the same way as it was before? Go and check. And I want to know two things. I want to know the original number, the one you began with. And I want to know your present number, whatever it is.
Whenever you're ready, one of you would tell me. Original number and new number. You began with? Six. And now? Two. Not very nice. Like somebody else. You began with? Um, five. And now? Zero. It's a zero now. Excellent. How's your neck feeling? Good. Very good. Excellent. Very nice. How about you? Four and two. It's a four and a two. How about you? Uh, five and one. Five and one. Excellent. How about you? You were point five. five. And now I don't want to even think about <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought so it would have gone up by now. Yeah. <laughs> I was so happy with the happy feeling. Happy with the happy feeling. Beautiful. Yeah. You began with? Uh, seven. No. Yeah. Three. It's a three now. Yeah. And how about you? Seven and two. Can you feel the difference in the neck? Yeah. Feeling different? Yeah. yeah. You began with? Seven knots. Four. It's a four now, yeah. It, it was eight, but it was, uh, I couldn't even think of it. You couldn't even think of it. That, that would, we would say that's a zero then, yes. Yeah, zero. Yes. How about you? Oh, me, ten and seven. It's a seven of them. Reduction. Eight and nine, it doesn't take seven. And still an eight, huh? and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes, we'll tell, we'll tell you why that happens. How about you? Seven and five. It's a five now, excellent, yeah. Four and probably can feel anything, yeah, so probably zero. It's a zero now, yeah. okay, excellent, yeah, very good. Yeah. Um, mine was ten, yeah. um, it's maybe three now. I, I still feel it in my stomach, but, but it's a let, let's when I think about it, I don't... It's not as intense anymore, but you can yeah. feel the sensation. Yeah. Notice how the thought is not there so strongly, yeah. but the body is still got yeah. it, huh? very interesting, very good. How about you? Five and zero. Five and zero, excellent, yeah. No, zero, I think different. Yeah, you feel? Indifferent. Indifferent, okay, but yeah, how about you? Are you already shared, yeah. how about you? I think I was at seven, maybe three. It's three, excellent. Now, I would say on average, the group has moved about a half. Of course, some of you went all the way to zero, some of you didn't move so much. But would you agree the group has about moved approximately half? Yeah. At least half, right? And that's typical in this process. And by the way, one round just took us a minute or two to do. Mm. So in one, and the interesting thing is I don't even know what your problems are. <laughs> some of you are working with some small irritation. Some of you are working with lifelong problems. Who knows what it is? Because all we've asked you for is the number. But almost all of us have had a shift. Isn't it interesting? That means it's a technology. It's not just a belief, it's a technology. Now, why is there no shift sometimes, or there's a small shift sometimes? This process has got three steps. What are the three steps again? Aim. Aim, release, release and transform. So when it's not working, and because you're learning something new, that's totally fine, one of those steps we missed a little bit. Now, for example, aim. The way we miss aim is, for example, I'm very bugged with my landlord for something. I've been telling the landlord again and again, the, the bathroom, the flush is leaking, come and fix it. He's not doing it, all right. And then I said, okay, now do this tapping. He said, but how will tapping fix the toilet? <laughs> right? And then you're like, yeah, but how can it fix? And so you're still aiming outside without realizing that you were perfectly fine until I said, think of a stressful thing, landlord. You see, you were fine until you thought of the landlord, until you thought of the leaking, uh, leaking flush which means that you also are playing a part in it. Yes, tapping will not fix your flush, but tapping will reduce your resistance to what's happening. So number one, aim inside. If you aim outside, you'll weaken yourself. You say, yeah, yeah, but how can that change? How can that situation change? How can that person change? So check, are you aiming outside? Are you aiming inside? Aiming inside means take responsibility, your own thoughts, words, and feelings, number one. Number two, when we're tapping, like I said, feel the finger touching the skin. If you don't feel the finger touching the skin, you're lost in your hypnotic, your hypnotic trance. You're lost, you know, they did that, this happened, this happened. You're not cutting through the trance. So feel the finger touching the skin, right? And three is hold the wrist and think of a happy memory, a joyful memory. And again, if you, again, keep uh, uh, going with that stressful memory, you haven't cut through it again, right? So again, focus on that. And again, see how it goes. Try it again, we'll see how it goes. Okay, we'll do one more round. And this time, we'll make it a little bit more fun. Because would you agree humor accelerates everything, right? Yeah. We're going to have some fun with this, all right? Good.
All right, close your eyes, 10 seconds. Tune into whatever's left. Even if you have nothing left, just join us or invent a new problem. Make it as strong as you can. In this method, the stronger you make it, the faster it goes. Feel it. Exaggerate it. Feel it. Deep breath. Open your eyes, two fingers, and tap with me and say, even though, even though I, have I have this challenge, I'm not sure why it's there. It's time to let it go. My only problem is, this is my favorite challenge. <laughs> Come to the side of your eye. And if I let it go, I'll have to find another challenge. <laughs> Come below your eyes. Whenever I think of this, I'm not sure why, I begin to feel ticklish. I begin to feel relaxed. My friends are asking me, why are you smiling? And I'm telling them, I'm thinking of my favorite challenge. Come to your collarbone. I used to think, this is a horror story. The more I think about it, it looks like a comedy story. And I'm the chief comedian. And everybody else is laughing. And I'm taking it seriously. Come take eyebrows again, letting it go. Time to let it go. Safe to let it go. Side of the eye, letting it go. Letting it all go. It's time to let it go below the eyes. In every situation, In every situation there, is there is a challenge and there is a gift. Is a gift. I choose to release the pain, to release the pain and keep the lesson. Keep the lesson. Collarbone, I release the pain, keep the lesson. I keep the lesson and I release the pain. All is well. I'm so thankful. Okay, one wrist against the other, close your eyes. And think of a time in your life when you couldn't stop laughing. Think of a time in your life when you were so happy, you couldn't stop laughing. Maybe you were with friends. Maybe you were doing something interesting. Couldn't stop laughing. And just how free you felt in that moment. In that moment when you were laughing so loudly. If someone came and told you in the future you'll have this trouble, you probably would have laughed even more. <laughs> So reconnect with that joyful time, that peaceful time. And just relax, just be as you are. Deep breath. Release your hands. Just be quiet for a moment. Go back and check the same stressful memory and check how strong it is now. Give me the original number, the one you began with. And tell me your present number, how strong is it now. Whenever you're ready, tell me you began with. Seven? No? I 
guess non-existent. It's almost non-existent. Or maybe it's like a half or one, right? Beautiful. How you began with? Six. And it's like a half. It's like a half, right? Mm-hmm. And you were? Ten. From zero to zero. Almost zero. <laughs> 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 Seven and one. It's like a one, actually. Yeah, same two, one, two. Two or one, yeah. How about you? I'm happy. You're happy. <laughs> you began with? Uh, five. No? One. It's like a one now. Four. Two. It's like a two now, yeah. Seven, three. Three. Yeah. Three. Happy. Happy. <laughs> okay. How about you? Ten and six. It's a six now. Okay, very good. Yeah. Yeah, it was eight and seven. It's coming out of it. Very good. Very nice. And you began with? Uh, six and one. It's a one now. Excellent. Yeah. Seven and three. It's a three now. Okay, good. Oh. Same. Zero it's a zero now. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Uh, ten and two. It's a two now. Yeah. Mm. It was already a zero. So would you agree that now after the second round, most of the group is between a zero and a three? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it true? Most of the group? And this is again typical, if I'm working with a large group, in the first round we go to about half, in the second round we go to between a zero and a three. And this is typical, not every time. Some things take longer than others. But most of the time that's what happens, right? And typically in the third round, everybody comes to a zero. Not always, but most of the time. All right. So just to help us learn, I'm going to give you one, I'm going to give you two minutes. And this step, this process has got three steps. What are the three steps? First is? In. Second is? Release. And third is? Transform. All right. So I'm going to give you 10 seconds. Just aim again. Whatever little bit is left. Release, you'll again tap. And just invertly, simply say, I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. I'm letting it go. And then hold your wrist and just think of a peaceful, happy memory. Otherwise, just be quiet. Just enjoy being present. And do it one last time so that you learn this process. 10 seconds, tune in. (coughs) Whatever's coming. Even the last one, allow yourself to let that go as well. Feel it, make it as strong as you can. And this time I'm not going to guide you, so whenever you're ready, you will start tapping on your own. You know how to do it now. It's all the nice deep breath. <coughs> Any 
we say together, how wonderful. Oh. All right, how many at a zero? Let's just check at a zero. Many people, maybe more than half the group at a zero. Let's all say, how wonderful. How wonderful. Right. And other people are feeling a shift, yeah? Feeling better than before, right? Feeling more free around that thought or memory? Mm -hmm. yeah? yeah, feeling more free around that, excellent. Now, I don't even know what your issue was. I didn't get to know from a single person. But everybody here has reliably found some freedom. And this is not just a little trick that's happening over here. This works reliably. You can do this on your own. Right. And this also works for physical pains. Because a large component of physical pain is the emotional worry about that pain. <laughs> it's not just what's happened. It's the emotional, how stupid of me, or I shouldn't have done that, or they shouldn't have done that, or why is it happening, or it's so unfortunate, or I've got a deadline coming up. And we add emotion to it. And that makes a simple pain much worse. So you've learned a process which, if you continue with, you can achieve immense emotional freedom. But you've got to do the homework. Nothing happens magically. Right? If, you, if you sit down and you start listing all the places in your life you're still stuck, right? whichever part of your life, maybe it's around money, maybe it's around relationships, Maybe it's around your work, maybe it's about your communication skills, maybe it's about your health, maybe it's some habits you have, who knows what it is. And you start working with those things, you'll start finding freedom within yourself. So today we've talked about gratitude. We talked about three dimensions of gratitude. What are the three dimensions of gratitude? Gratitude for what, you have. what I have, gratitude for my challenges, and also gratitude for the future. My dreams, even before I accomplish them, I don't have to wait to accomplish them to be thankful. I can be thankful before I accomplish them. So right, past, present, future has all become filled with gratitude. We've also talked about balancing our mind using another method. And there's one more thing I want to talk about today, which is identities. Identities. So mm. tell me, first of all as a group, what are some of our identities? What do I see as this is me, right? And let's, let's see as many different things we can come up with as a group as possible. What do I identify as I, me, or mine? I'll say, I'll say two or three things, that'll just get you started. So I can identify with uh, my, my work, which is spreading happiness. I can identify with that. My work is spreading happiness. I can identify with my Facebook page and all the things I share there and all the inputs people give me that, okay, Nityashanti, you're sharing very helpful stuff, all right. I can also identify with my um, way of uh, dressing. I dress a certain way and I feel comfortable dressing this way. I can tend to identify with that. That's three examples. Somebody else, what do we identify with? What are our identities locked up in? Your education, your qualifications. Education, qualifications, yes, very good. Yeah, what else? Race, uh, gender. Yeah, race and gender. Yes, very good. Yeah. Would name be identity as well? Name, yes, very much. Yeah. Name and identity. Interests. Interests, yeah. Interests Interest and hobbies, yeah, very yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, the kind of, let's say, Groups that you are a part of? Yes, the kind of association groups, association, friends, yeah. yeah, very good. Sometimes you identify yourself with what people think about you. Yes, what other people say about me, I can identify with that. What else? Your job, your profession. Yes, job and profession, yeah, very much. 
the place you come from place you come from okay. political party ideas with ideas about what's wrong with the world everybody got different ideas of what's wrong with the world yeah ideologies yeah. ideologies right yeah. what else do what you said how about you religion religion is money let's go one by one to activate everybody mm-hmm. abudai i guess all this what everybody said yeah you identify with all the people said i guess so yeah <laughs> part of it yes definitely yeah. like yeah. of course what my profession is yeah. and i see myself as a mother and a wife yeah so roles roles is another one yeah part of the roles that we have yeah, yeah roles are another one. how about you um, your soccer team <laughs> Yeah. Your hairstyle. <laughs> 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 Maybe you are the only one. What do you identify with? Do you have any identities? I'm a horseback riding. Horseback riding. Yeah, so that's an interest that you identify with, right? Nice. What else? How about you? The work which I've done. The work that you've done, for example, what work do you do? Ha, ah, social work. So one can even identify with that, right? That's very nice. And should we tell you? Hobbies, family. Hobby or hobby? <laughs> 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 hobbies, family. Right. Hobby can be a hobby. Hobby can be a hobby. <laughs> <laughs> nature, being happy. Yeah, being even with nature, we identify. Being with being. Nature in the sense my nature. Your own nature, all right? That's yeah, possible. Yeah, that's true. Happy. That's true. Very good. How about you? We saw that yesterday. Yeah. Invisible. Invisible. <laughs> <laughs> With the work you do, what work do you do? Generally, day-to-day work, people identify. Yeah, people identify with the work. Yes. Prashi. Maybe the books that I read, the characters in them. Yes. I can identify with some. Yes. Yes. Very good. Um, school, sports teams. Yes. Yes, that's right. Okay, right. You already shared. All right, identities. Now I'm going to ask a few questions and just check. And there's no right or wrong answer, but just check. Do our identities, do our identities, bring us closer together, or take us further apart? It depends. It's just a question. It depends. Yeah, it depends. For example. For example, if uh, if you are living in another country, mm-hmm. like here, you will identify yourself with all the Indians. Ha! Uh-huh. So that brings that. But if you are living in India, <laughs> you don't identify with India. <laughs> yeah. But if you are living in India. Yes. And if if like I was living in Bangalore. Yes. 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 but i come from north of india yes. i will identify myself very with true, north indians true, true. in bangalore yes so in what you're saying is that in, in depending on the context it will make us come together and it will also sometimes make us not be that close together is that right right somebody else good point you were saying something yeah so i think again it's uh, so when you talk about groups or uh, interests so then there is a certain set of people who will come together mm-hmm. 
but then there are others who then get excluded get excluded as well yes so depending on you know whether it's about you or you're you're inside the group or outside the group yes you know, the same thing could be uh, uh, having two uh, perspectives right very good any identity does it limit us or does it make us limitless also depends on how you take it so for example so for example if you identify with the uh, being an indian and are proud of it it's uh, limitless but if you feel uh, constrained by it then it can sort of you know so you think it's it's how you're holding that how identity you're holding it. right which means that uh, inst- uh, like what i'm sensing is that i can be very uh, appreciative of my roots yeah. as opposed to trying to feel that i'm superior to the everybody every other country or the profession i do or the profession or i do profession i do yeah. when i try and happy about it mm. fantastic if i'm not happy about it then whatever yeah. i do with it uh, yeah but, but i would say identities do limit yourself they do limit us so say yeah. more like for example if i identify myself as an indian hmm. i can associate myself only with indians hmm. but if i identify myself as a human being hmm. then the whole world right so what you're saying is certain depending on the kind of if i very narrowly identify myself with something yeah. then it, it can be limiting very interesting yeah, that's true my wife went for a conference she studies soil science she went to a conference where there were so, so water scientists and soil scientists and she found after the three day conference she realized that she couldn't understand the water scientists <laughs> the water scientists had their own language and the soil scientists had their own language you know this is feel that are relatively close to each other but they've gotten so super specialized that they have their own way of describing things and they have their own terminology for things so when the water scientists spoke the soil scientists couldn't fully understand when the soil scientists spoke the water scientists couldn't fully understand so on one hand of course they'd gotten deeper into a particular subject but on the other hand they had kind of grown further apart from the others in that process isn't the need for association almost like you know intrinsic to human nature that you do try to associate with something or the other otherwise you feel insecure yeah yeah it's true as long as you identify with your human nature mm-hmm. then human beings are social creatures which is why the worst punishment that is legalized in most countries is solitary confinement solitary. putting someone alone is the worst possible punishment you can give them but for a spiritual practitioner what they long for more than anything else yes. is solitary practice yes. that's what most spiritual practitioners would long for they would long for long periods i read about a nun who spent uh, i don't know how many last 60 70 years she has spent in one room meditating for one 70 years and briefly meets people who come to give her food she spent seven she's bliss she's blissful people come from a distance they bow down to her heart and they go right so uh, there are there are also people who will long for that kind of practice right so again it's it's what we are identifying with there's a lovely quote i read which is let's say together misery misery loves company loves company bliss bliss doesn't need any doesn't need any <laughs> all right so coming back to identity and what is the connection between identity and suffering check
Anyone? Directly proportional. <laughs> so give an example. <coughs> Sorry? Give an example. Anything, uh, anything what you identify with is not permanent. Then it will change. So if it changes, it will bring a different emotion. Mm -hmm. So identity and, and, and distress is, is directly related. Yes. Because so. change is permanent. So what you're saying is that because we, we see that as my, like for example, I'm a social worker, I'm someone who helps people, and then for whatever reason, whether it is your, your situation or because your profession has changed, because you retired, whatever, you're no longer able to do that, it's possible that that can lead to a sense of distress, a sense of, I mean, something's really missing. Because it's like, it's, like, it's like grieving a part of you that's died, that cannot be expressed anymore, right? That's definitely one very strong connection between identity and suffering. Because uh, the other thing could be that uh, if there is any uh, suffering you get because of that identity, mm. then and, and it's normally difficult to get out of that identity, mm. then uh, every time mm. uh, that you are uh, closer to that identity, you'll suffer. Yes. So because of, let's say, your race or because of you know, your profession or whatever, yeah. you had a bad experience. Yeah. And then you continue to suffer. Exactly. And let's choose one particular, there are many kinds of suffering, let's choose one particular kind of suffering, fear. Right? What's the connection between identity and fear? Fear of losing the identity? Fear of fear. <laughs> <laughs> so for example? Uh, so it could be about the employment, for yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. You, you lose an identity around that. Yeah. Or it could be uh, you're part of a group. Or a club or something like mm. that. So, you know, and you get, for whatever reason, you get friends or something yeah. like that. So. You're excluded from that. That can lead to fear. Yeah. That's actually very interesting. One of the deepest fears we have is the fear of being rejected, is the fear of being ostracized. And I was kind of thinking about this. Why is like everywhere I go, I notice people are very afraid of what people are thinking about them. Then why are people so afraid of what others think about them? Because when we lived way back in tribes, if your tribe rejected you, that was like a death sentence, because on your own you would never survive in the harsh jungles. You were bound to die. There's a very deeply encoded sense that people should not reject me. Even though today, if they reject you, alright, go find another set of friends. <laughs> alright, go live somewhere else, okay, do something else. But it's not as simple as that, it's a very deeply encoded fear. If they reject me, I'm going to die. It's like the fear of death comes into us. Right. These, some of these things are deeply encoded within us. Any other connection between identity and fear? If your identity is threatened, hmm. so fear of losing your identity. Hmm. So you identify yourself as something and then suddenly there is a threat of that going away. Hmm. Correct, yeah, that's right. And that can again lead to fear. Yeah. Great. So the reason I'm bringing this up is, so the last question then is, what is the most skillful relationship we can have with identities. Because we're going to have identities. You know, to navigate this world, there are some kind of identities. The question for you is, what is the most skillful relationship to have with identities? Take a moment before you respond.
anyway. Mantra, the one word mantra that you talked about, gone. Gone. Not be attached to it. Yeah. What you have today as an identity would not be there tomorrow. Yeah. And for that, uh, we have to recognize it as an identity. Sometimes we don't even recognize it as an identity. We don't even recognize sometimes religion as an identity. We don't even recognize sometimes my belief that I am an organized person as an identity. It irritates me when somebody else is not organized. It, it really hurts me when someone says, you're disorganized. How can you say I'm disorganized? I'm the most organized person I know. Mm -hmm. right? We don't even realize it's, it's an identity. So to realize how many identities we actually have, actually. Mm -hmm. First of all. Anybody else? Most skillful relationship with identities. Mm -hmm. Having an attitude of witnessing. Witnessing, right. Very good. So witnessing the arising and passing of these different identities. That's great. Anybody else? How, how can you keep expanding? Hmm. How can you keep expanding it? So more and more inclusive identity. Yeah. So instead of saying I'm a Delhiite, say I'm an Indian. So say I'm an Indian, I belong to the Northern Hemisphere. Instead of belong to the Northern Hemisphere, I belong to the planet. Instead of saying I belong to the planet, I belong to the solar system, I belong to the galaxy. And every time you go to the next level, it's more inclusive. Right? So your tribe increases. And so your sense of oneness with everything increases. So that's one direction to go, that you expand your sense of identity. Instead of being very narrow and constrained, you make it larger and larger, more and more all-inclusive. Until it becomes everything. <laughs> so the most healthy place to go with identity is either make it everything, and there's one more direction you can go. You make it nothing. <laughs> so either become everybody, in which case it's all okay. It's only you, you're meeting everywhere. It's only more of you. Or you make it nothing, in which case only life meeting itself. There was never you to begin with. These are two directions you can go with identity. And I would say there's one more, I would say there are many more, but here's one more, is you hold it lightly. Now for example, we are all acting in a play, and we've all been given different roles. Right? So I've been given the role of the hero, and Nitin is the role of the biggest villain. <laughs> and we play the and we play the role, we play it very well. And uh, of course, everyone dislikes Nithin because he's a very terrible villain. But at the end, we all go back and we celebrate. And Nithin, you play it very well. And we go and give each other a big hug, right? Because it's just a role that we're playing. You understand? Yeah. So you see the identity as a role that you're playing. And then again, like witnessing, like you're saying. So we don't take it so, so heavily, we take it lightly. Here's another one. You see it as a dream. In your dream, you became, let's say, a very rich and powerful person. And in that dream, you had all these responsibilities, people were paying respects to you, this and that. And you woke up in the morning, it was a dream. <laughs> it was just a dream. There's a lovely story of that there was a Zen master who had a dream, actually, it was Chang Su, a Chinese master. And he said, he woke up in the morning, he said, I told his disciples, I had a dream. No, he said, I'm very perplexed. Last night, I dreamt I was a butterfly. Just a master, what's there to be perplexed about this? It's all right, we have all kinds of dreams. He says, no, no, but I'm very perplexed because I'm not sure now, am I, Chong Su, dreaming, did I dream of being a butterfly or is that butterfly now dreaming of being Chong Su? I'm very perplexed. You see, it's not so simple anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so in this, in this idea, you cannot say it's real and you cannot even say it's unreal. Because to say, oh, that's just a dream, You've come to certainty. 
And they say, no, no, this is also a dream, that's also a certainty. This is a dream or that is a dream. That is real or this is real. Both of them are a certainty. And a certainty creates strong identity. This or that. You see, religious people fight so much because they're most certain. Each one is super certain that their perspective is the right perspective. Which is why the most blood has been shed over religion more than anything else. It's one of those absolute certainties. My way is the best way, is the only right way. And so, what I like about that is the recognition that it's, it, it's not this, not that. My teacher called it mine, which means not sure. Not sure. Don't hold it so tightly. So hold it lightly. So you'll notice wherever you're holding your identities tightly, it's going to create suffering. And wherever you hold it lightly, life is beautiful. You're able to navigate. And so today we have explored three major things. We've explored identities. We've explored gratitude. Gratitude will immediately lighten your identities. We'll make you notice there's something beautiful about everything and everyone. I'm an Indian and can I appreciate the Pakistanis? And can I appreciate the Bangladeshis? And can I appreciate the American? Every, every country, every race, every religion. If you can uh, appreciate each other's food, why can't we appreciate more than just the food and the culture? Why can't we appreciate the belief system? Why can't we see what's right in that way of looking at things? Instead of catching the one thing in that religion we don't like, how can they do this? Suppose you have to do the one thing in their religion that they do really well, and that we never think about doing in our own tradition, right? It's a different way of thinking. So gratitude is a powerful way of loosening and lightening it. And we've also learned today a beautiful skill of releasing and letting go out of change, right? Also emotional, also called emotional freedom techniques. And so what we're doing is the Tibetan word for this is Shenpa. Shenpa means stickiness. We're reducing the stickiness in our experience. And the more we reduce the stickiness, the more life flows along. Like I'm sitting here and voila, all this time I've been noticing the rays, the angle of the sun rays have been shifting all along. And they're not leaving a mark on the wall. They're doing it quite smoothly. They're not creating any scars on the wall. It's just effortlessly, smoothly slipping. And without even knowing, you're going to slip all the way out and the sun is set. So no scar was created. So as we're going through our life, are we drilling a line on stone? Are we drawing a, land on, a line on sand? Are we drawing a line on water? Or are we drawing a line in space? You see? The less grateful we are, the more identified we are, the more we are stuck with all of these unresolved emotions, the more we are drawing lines in stone. Which means life experience leads to a lot of unprocessed memories, experiences, and the technical word is karmas. Unprocessed business. Half-finished business. Half-digested business. Whatever is half-digested, if you don't answer the question in your exam, you'll have to give that exam again. <laughs> what happened you haven't fully processed is going to have to be experienced again. Again and again and again until it's done. Right. So you can draw a line on rock. We can draw a line on sand, which will last maybe a few hours. We can draw a line on water, which will last literally moments. We can draw a line on space, which is actually no line at all. It's finished in the moment it's done. So it's all about living more smoothly, living more gracefully. And the more we start applying any of these principles, you start experiencing this. Not just a theory, not just a philosophy. Like Lady in Number Six, the documentary I talked about. This lady went through, <coughs> bless you, she went through the concentration camps and she never lost her spirit. And if that is possible, then certainly you and I, in the small concentration camps of our life, <laughs> the difficult relationships, the difficult challenges, we can certainly find that clarity as well. Right? Let's all say how wonderful.
I'll take a moment of silence. Nice deep breath. Let's say together, how wonderful. So would anyone like to share from our discussion today and the practices we've done? What has stayed with you? What has been most meaningful for you? What is it you'd like to keep in mind or perspective that you found useful, helpful, that you'd like to continue practicing or continue examining in your life? Anybody? Gratitude for sure. Gratitude. The art of change, I have to practice this and you know, not to test it but to see that you know, was it what I was thinking which had yeah. gone from 8 to 0, if it, really it, it, if yes. it comes again, yeah, go and check. was it temporary? Go and check. And if it, if it comes again, just do it again, right? Yeah. And you'll find that you're sometimes uh, a, a, a table has many legs. You cut one leg, the table doesn't fall. You cut one leg, you got to cut a few more legs and the table collapses. So sometimes it, the, the one tree has got many, many, many roots. You cut off one root, but definitely you'll, you just, and this is a very good, good attitude. Go, and go back and check and see how much freedom you have around that same situation. Thank you. Anybody else? Uh, you reminded me that um, we take too many things for granted mm. and also we don't live in the present moment mm. so yeah, it's good to it's a good reminder of a good reminder to be present hopefully to keep it going very nice to be present and to be pr appreciative right and to really make that a priority to make it a priority to be more present to slow down in my life because that's the juice of life we're just running 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 we're doing things for happiness we're forgetting it's not the end of the imaginary goal it's the process that's a very important shift. The sooner we make that shift, the better it is. Anybody else? I somehow felt that the stronger one's identity is, that can even feed your ego sometimes. Yes. And that can then, you have to be watchful in that mm -hmm. case. That's true. The strong sense of identity does lead to ego. And the most, uh, the most dangerous ego of all is the spiritual ego. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's where I feel, because spiritual knowledge is so intoxicating, right? And the tightness around that, that I know, this is the most dangerous. So Buddha said, householders fight over belongings. Holy people fight over views. Drishti, 
My view is superior to your view. My way of looking at things is better than your way of looking at things. It's very true. Anybody else? Quite a quite a few things actually. I also like that whole uh, uh, how you learn. Yeah. You know, so from your unconscious, uh, unskilled to yes. mastery. Oh yes, we talked about that. And yeah. therefore, uh, I think I think my, uh, the thing all about ten thousand hours. Yes. Uh, and uh, beyond. Yes. So I think that's something which we do not think about often. Mm. You know, we just hope that things will happen. There's a nice book I read recently. It's called Deep Work, by Cal Newport. And he's talking about really this exact th- that we are now in a very distracted age, mm-hmm. and we need to literally take our time to do some of our deep work. Yeah. We always do shallow work, shallow work, shallow work. Shallow work has its place. You can't. I mean, not everything will be deep work, but we have once in a while you st- take our time, just you know, step aside and really do our deep work, and that's where our deepest contentment is going to come from. Anybody else? Let's listen to the younger ones. Yes. The letting go part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know the practice you do? Yeah. You like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Nice. Okay. How about you? Um I learned about how um like you should you shouldn't keep all your dramatic events with you and mm. you eventually have to let it go and move on to have a better and peaceful life. That's true. Very good. It's like you have got a new pet and this doggy likes to poop around the house. And instead of cleaning it up, you put it under the carpet. <laughs> now, it's not visible, but it's still smelly. Right? So if you don't process our stuff, then it looks like on the surface you're fine, but it's going to come out in some strange way. In some stra- you'll find in some relationship you're getting very reactive. Right? With some friends you're being very rude. People are, what's wrong with you? And you don't even know what's wrong with you because you haven't processed that stuff. Right? So you're very right. That's very good. Would you like to share? Um, I think different ways of sharing gratitude. Especially, it's gonna help me when I play sport. Like yes. the third one, which you said. Yes. Um, before even, before I'm even achieving it. Yes. So like, belief that I can do it. Exactly. Beautiful. Confidence. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah. You should see. Uh, you should read more about Usain Bolt, yeah. and how he thinks. It's exactly how he thinks. He celebrates. He celebrates in the beginning, and uh, he's uh, got that attitude of you know just deep gratitude, the deep sense of self-belief. That's what creates that powerful performance. Like letting go of stuff that doesn't matter to you. Yeah. Oh my God. Very good. That was that was the most important thing you learned. Brilliant. Have you learned a simple method to do it? That's fantastic. Please use it. You're gonna get good results. Right. Fantastic. Let's all say how wonderful. How wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody else want to share, Jyoti? I think the session what we did, we remember some bad thing happened in our lives and. We practiced three, four times, and mm. suddenly we thought, okay, no, we are not that much feeling. Exactly. I think if I could able to do in real life, in real scenario, exactly. When it ha- actually mm. happens, and we can practice the way you exactly. We have to learn to clean up. Yeah, very nice. I think that is the best thing. That's exactly right. You know, if I spill food while I'm eating with all of you, I spill food on my dress. I'll immediately go and clean it, right? I say, all right, let's leave it till the end of the... No, immediately we go and clean it. If you spill something, we immediately clean it. A little while back, someone broke a glass in the house, and immediately the whole house got activated. Okay, there's, 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 there's glass on the floor. We call it activated. Don't walk over there. We clean it up. We don't wait for these things. We clean it up immediately. If I tell you your shirt is torn, oh, okay, I'll be right back. You go up and you change your shirt. But when it comes to our mind, we're very lazy, and we can allow 
that anger to continue that jealousy to continue that greed to continue that it's very interesting but the truth is with a torn shirt with a dirty uh, dirty clothes with some of the glass on the ground you can still be okay no your life will not collapse <laughs> but when you're angry agitated fearful envious your happiness is gone instantly so it's very very similar to what you're saying let us not be so tolerant of these mental defilements the reason we are tolerant is we look around and say oh, other people also do it everyone is like this we have bad role models actually so they're dysfunctional and then we also become dysfunctional they eat junk food we also eat junk food they have junk thoughts we also have junk thoughts and we take the role models from television and from other places not the best role model always all right you want to share i think live in present be happy and keep on growing yourself beautiful yeah, nice right. summary <laughs> good all right everybody feeling complete any questions i have yes please <laughs> yeah ask. actually you talked about you know as you also it's your learning uh, i wanted to understand mastery hmm. you know to do master because it was going few days back in my mind actually two elements what you said yesterday what is the purpose of life i'm happy good blessed blessed what is that what i'm supposed to do in life how do i find the purpose of life yeah. second i'm doing a lot of things but there must be something which i you know could be the best how do i find the found the be- how to find out the best in me nice that's let's take the second question first i like this concept in japan called ikigai ikigai is a japanese concept which means your reason for being and it's got four elements to it so let's say together what i love to do what i'm good at what adds to the happiness of others and what gives me a livelihood right now these four things now if you only have some of these things but not all of these things so let's say you're good at it and it pays the bills fine we'd call that a career it's not necessarily your calling it's not necessarily the ikigai because not only do you have to be good at it you have to love it let's say you love it and it adds to the happiness of others it's more like a hobby <laughs> or it's more like a vocation of some kind right but it's not paying the bills so you're having trouble making ends meet and maybe you're not even that good at it you're not developing yourself so we have to find a way that all these four connect now this requires some introspection it's a process it's a living thing you know we we like to have short answers okay this is it it's not like that it's a process it's a conversation it's an unfolding journey these things are conversations it's a poem right so what do i love to do it'll keep evolving keep changing keep deepening what am i good at this understanding and we often have self judgments we don't even notice what we're good at other people notice it in us we sometimes don't notice it in ourselves so sometimes sitting with good friends and saying what do you see in me what are my strengths what are my good qualities what do you see in me that you don't really see in others some really unique quality of mine and we all have something like that and what adds to the happiness of others is a nice quote let's say it together that do the work do the work where your deepest gladness and the world's greatest hunger meet so what's your deepest gladness and what from your perspective is the world's greatest hunger and where those two meet you should do the work it's like the summary of ikigai actually but very much connected to the third one adding to the happiness of others so it's not just about me and my family right that's too limited of you you'll never be fully satisfied with that you'll always feel you're kind of cramping yourself you'll always feel you're not fully exploring your potential 
for the benefit of all. That's then become the vision. It's more than just you and your loved ones. It's for the benefit of all. And it should also be able to give you a good quality of life. You should not have to go around begging for what your basic needs are. So when these four things come together, we would say that is your reason for being. In Japan, it's called Ikigai. It's the reason you wake up in the morning. And we need to then investigate. And, and what happens, especially in India, is we tend to very quickly be put into a school and very quickly we decide our subjects and very quickly college and very quickly career. And next thing you know, you're, you, know you, you never got a chance to really explore. Mm. At least in the West, once in a while, they'll allow you to have a break here. So, okay, take a break between school and college or between college and work or even after work, take a break. It's nice to expand once in a while. Right? So once in a while, read something different. You've come for a different event today. So this new event has given you different kinds of thoughts. Maybe thoughts you don't have on a normal basis. So go and attend a different kind of a speaker. Read a different book. Get out of your normal way of doing things. Expose yourself to different ways of thinking. Right? Loosen your identity about who you are so strongly. Go and attend a festival or something that interests you. you know? Go and meet people who interest you. Like this, open your horizon up. One of my teachers says that every Every day we should take out some time, every week we should take out some time, every month, every year, every decade we should take out some time to just be. Because if you're always doing, 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 you're not going to get that perspective. Okay. So take out time, like you know, Prachi likes to sit in the sun and in the balcony, <laughs> the garden. Come. And you can just sit in the garden with her, sitting still, come on in, and doing nothing. And just enjoying, right? And just see the inspiration will come, the guidance will come from inside. And the purpose also is similar to what we were talking about yesterday. You see that uh, there are many, many perspectives on purpose of life. Uh, one of them is that the, the purpose of life is to find your gift. How does it go? The purpose of life. The meaning of life is to find your gift. And the purpose of life is to give it away. <laughs> so what's your, what the meaning of life is find what you, what's your real gift. So I, I say it like this, I say show up, share your gifts, and synergize. What does it mean? Wherever you are, show up. Which means be present, instead of getting lost in thoughts. Share your gifts, we all have some gifts. In every moment there's some gift we can bring to the table. At the very least we can wish happiness for all. At the very least we can be grateful. At the very least we can be present, right? So show up, share your gifts, and synergize, everyone's got different gifts. Can we appreciate and bring out other people's gifts? Now this creates a beautiful network. This creates community. So there are many, many perspectives on the purpose of life. There are even one powerful perspective that there is no, there is no purpose of life. Human beings like to in invent stories. Right? So then you can invent any story. So invent a story that is meaningful to you. <laughs> don't, wait, look, don't go looking for some message in the sky or something in your palms or something in your horoscope. Forget all that. Find and maybe drop the word purpose and take up the word priority. Something that's important. Something that is, is energizing for you. Yeah, because if, if you connect the identity conversation with the purpose, yes. right, there is no identity. If you go that way, So the funny thing is when, when, when there is no purpose, if you hold that frying pan the correct way, yeah. if you hold it the wrong way, you're going to get depressed. <laughs> if you hold it the correct way, then everything is a purpose unto itself. So my answering your question now, I have just completed my life purpose. You see? Yeah. When I'm walking, my purpose is to walk. When I'm bathing, my, my purpose is to bathe. When I lie down to rest, my purpose is to lie down to rest. You see, whatever you're doing, in that moment it's complete. When it's complete, there's no residue. When there's no residue, there's no karma. 
When there's no karma, there's no baggage, there's no discontentment. You're free, you're free in all directions right there. You see, and then you're not making new identities. See, if my purpose is to, let's say my purpose is that everybody should receive free medical care. Okay, I enter this room with that purpose. Now, if I'm very strongly identified with that, I'll quickly scan this room and I'll say, you know, who can help me achieve my purpose? Now, suddenly the doctors in this room and the rich people in this room and the influential people in this room will take on greater significance than maybe the kids in this room. Because how will these kids help me achieve my purpose? Maybe I don't see that. So you see, the moment you have a strong identity, you start having preferences. You start having likes and dislikes. You start, you start looking more here and less there. And immediately you create walls around yourself. So it's fine you to even have a purpose, but you've got to hold it lightly, not so tightly. Otherwise, you immediately start limiting yourself in that moment. How wonderful. How wonderful. <laughs> How wonderful. <laughs> All right. Good. Thank you. Thank you, wonderful. Thanks. Any more questions for anybody? Just one logistical announcement as well. Uh, we've kept a box here. Anybody wants to make voluntary contributions to this foundation, this person. And it's it's a it's an honor and a pleasure to have him here. I I think I've known him for the last six, seven years and I've learned so much. It's just unbelievable. Every time I've met him, there's always something that I get to learn. It's just phenomenal. I've spent, also done three-day retreats also with him uh, in Gurgaon and various places. But uh, just nice. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Wonderful. It is indeed a pleasure. Mm -hmm. For us, it is like, you know, we got a phone call. We didn't know Akash. We met him for the first time in person. Uh -huh. And then, you know, I had to be, I'm very candid, I've not heard about you, but, you know, Akash said, you come, you check on Google. But I came and then, you know, uh, it was wonderful. Beautiful. Wonderful. Lovely. We are blessed that, so nice. one of the blessings that, you know, at least we got the opportunity. So beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lovely. Thanks. Enjoy the sound of my ball. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.